Hello everyone and welcome to Lessons of Innovation, the podcast that brings you valuable tips and advice to help you succeed on your innovation journey. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Kayan Krippendorf, who for those who do not know him, is a world top expert in innovation and strategy. Kayan spent part of his career as a consultant at McKinsey before founding his own innovation consultancy firm, OutThinker. He's a member of the prestigious Thinker 50 Radar Group and a best-selling author of five books, including the book we will be discussing today, Driving Innovation from Within. Kayan, I'm very excited to have you with me on the show today. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for including me. Thanks uh, for joining me. So maybe just to kick this off, could you tell me a little bit more about your background uh, and how did your journey into the world of innovation started? Yeah, so my father's from Germany. My mother's from Bangladesh. I think that's given me kind of like a diverse interest of, of many different topics. And um, I think I got into innovation through martial arts. I, I studied martial arts as a child. And then I got interested in books on martial arts and strategy, including Sun Tzu and Miyamoto Musashi's Book of Five Rings. And I, I happened across a book called The 36 Stratagems, which is a was a translation of a Chinese ancient Chinese text. And that became the basis of my first two books and my doctorate work. And that was really about kind of like taking these metaphorical patterns that enable us to think differently. And I applied them to strategy and um, just sort of fell in love with strategy. I went to uh, McKinsey, went to business school in, in reverse order, went to business school, then went to McKinsey. And uh, I left when I was writing my first book in 2004, which was this application of these 36 strategic patterns. So there's a lot I don't know much about, but strategy has been something that I've been passionate about for a, a long time, but particularly a strategic innovation. So breakthrough strategies, right? As opposed to say, you know, the, the, the alignment, the execution, the KPIs, the cascading. So yeah, and so, so I've written five books and I've got more books in mind in the top, in the space of strategy and innovation. But then what was the trigger that made you move from working for McKinsey uh, to become an entrepreneur and found your own consultancy company? So there's like the personal answer and then there's the the resume answer. The resume answer is I had spent a few years at McKinsey and I kind of reached a point where I felt like I wasn't enjoying it as much because I had written this book and I really wanted to pursue promoting and doing things with this book and the firm wasn't going to really support me with that. And also I had start, started more managing projects rather than doing the problem solving. But But the personal answer is I kind of went through this process where I realized that my purpose in life is people loving what they do. And I felt I have a better chance of living that purpose by being on my own and doing my work as opposed to working inside an established company. And, and that's part of what motivated me to write Driving Innovation Within is that I don't think that people should have to make that choice. Aligning purpose and passion with the work seems the perfect uh, recipe for success. Uh, let me bring the discussion to your book, uh, Driving Innovation from Within. For a start, can you tell me why did you actually decide to write this book? Yeah, so, so from 2004 when I left and I started doing workshops and talks on, these, on this book and wrote other books, I kind of had developed a practice 
which was a strategic innovation practice. And so I would go into companies and we would ideate these breakthrough big ideas. Uh, but often when those ideas are introduced from within, they get entangled in the internal politics and culture. And I felt that I was, you know, I was kind of being inauthentic and in that I was promising people that they could they could do big things with their thinking. And we can get people to think very differently with this technique. But in the back of my mind, I held on to this belief that I think many people hold, which is it's much easier to do that as an entrepreneur. Because as an entrepreneur, you're not constrained by existing business models and history, right? But, but, But I started noticing that some of the ideas that we generated in these workshops actually turned into very exciting innovations. And so I wanted to see if those instances were, were really exceptions or whether we might be able to find a way to learn from them to become better at navigating, cultivating big ideas inside established companies. I spent five years researching that book. And what I found was not only is it possible to take an idea and grow it from within. Actually, most of society's most substantial innovations have come not from entrepreneurs, but from employees inside established companies. This uh, finding is an eye-opener, actually, uh, and I will come back to it shortly. But maybe before that, can you tell me whether entrepreneurs who found their own companies and innovators that work inside large companies face similar challenges? Uh, and as such, do they need to have the same skills or should they have different characteristics? Yeah, I mean, the challenge of an entrepreneur is in many ways different, in some, in some ways opposite of that of an entrepreneur. As I interviewed internal innovators, I interviewed about 150 for the book. What I came to see is that entrepreneurs get told, no, 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 yes. Because they have to pitch their idea to 40 investors on average before they find that one investor. And while entrepreneurs have the opposite problem, they are told yes, 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 no. And that points to that the challenge of building innovations from within requires this political acumen. And that is one of six characteristics that are shown to correlate with successful internal innovators. So actually, we know a lot about, and not from my research, just me looking at the existing research, we know a lot about who these entrepreneurs are, and they do not look like entrepreneurs. I looked at every study I could find that showed a statistically significant correlation between a certain attribute or habit and success as an internal innovator. And the six very quickly are innovative thinkers. They take autonomous action, and they have strong market awareness or customer awareness. Those three things make them look like entrepreneurs. But there are three others that make them look a little bit different. The one is they're not risk-seeking. They're actually risk-averse, and they look to create risk asymmetry. And this actually is true for entrepreneurs as well. Successful entrepreneurs are not risk-seeking. They are able to engineer their opportunity payoff so that they have very little downside and a lot of upside. But it is counterintuitive because when we think of entrepreneurs, we often think of them as just like jumping out of planes, right? Just just taking risks. 
The next one is they're not motivated by the financial payoff as much as the, they have intrinsic motivation to innovate. And the last one, which is what I mentioned already, they have strong political acumen. So those, those are the six characteristics. One of the main findings of your book, as you just mentioned, is that most substantial innovations have come not from entrepreneurs, but from employees working inside established companies. But then I wonder, why do you think everyone likes to celebrate stories of well-known entrepreneurs like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, etc., uh, instead of telling the innovation story from a large company angle? Because I think, you know, the Elon Musks, they sell books, they sell articles. It is a much more exciting story to tell the fable of the lone entrepreneur who takes on the big guys who go into the cave of the, of the garage and build the thing and with a small team and take it out and then disrupt the world. Also, the entrepreneur tends to be the person in the relay race that passes the baton. And when, 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 the, when the baton finally fe- finishes the, the race, the person who finishes the race, we forget who was the person that initially passed the baton. So we like to talk about corporations as people. Talking about GE generically is not as exciting about talking about it as Jack Welch or something, or talking about Apple in general. It doesn't have the kind of drama of talking about Steve Jobs, right? And so we want to personalize the story. So long way of saying the hero journey story that we love to tell fits more cleanly with that of the entrepreneurial story, whereas the entrepreneurial story is more complicated to tell. That's interesting. But then if most innovation comes from inside established companies, as your research shows, why do you think there are many corporates that actually struggling with innovation? Are there specific barriers that are preventing them from moving forward with their innovation agenda? So in those 150 interviews I did, I asked each of these internal innovators, what was the big barrier that you saw? And kind of did a matrix, you know, and there were like six heat, you know, for the heat map, there were six spots, right? The first is your people have stopped looking for innovations because they've been told no too many times. Intent. Another big barrier is your people do not understand what your strategy is. So they come up with innovations, don't support the strategy. Next one is, I call it options, which is people will tend to get attached to their one idea when there's at best a 15% success rate of an internal innovation. So you need to have many ideas. You need to be pursuing many ideas or a portfolio of ideas. The next one is your business model. Your business model will be in conflict with the natural business model for the new idea. The next one is taking action. Established companies, often people want people to prove it before they allow them to do it. But actually, as, as you know, and, and some of your guests on your, on your podcast have pointed out, for a new innovation, often you have to do it in order to prove it. So you have this dilemma. And the next one is that you need to be able to pull together a cross-functional team. And when you're working in an organization with strict silos, it's hard for you to collaborate across those silos. And then the last one are a bundle of environmental factors, including culture, organizational structure, and leadership that make it complicated for you to get buy-in for your ideas. 
I guess if we are to start dissecting each one of these six spots you just mentioned, we would need another episode. Uh, And that's the book in itself anyways, which I highly recommend to our listeners if they haven't uh, read it just yet. But reflecting on what you just mentioned, do you think that all employees inside established companies should be involved with innovation? Or should we designate specific people to focus in innovation and having things like innovation labs, for example? Yeah, I have, a, I have a problem with the innovation labs because when you designate some people to be in the innovation lab, you, by corollary, classify everyone who's not in the innovation lab as not being innovative. It's a quick fix I, to remove many of those barriers that I, that I described, but it's not a long-term solution. Now, I do believe that there are certain areas of your business where maybe you don't want to innovate because you are sure that you have reached the optimal process and the risk of breaking the process is high. Like, let's say that you are building an elevator and you've built many, many elevators, right? You you do want to follow a checklist and make sure that you are doing things following the steps that you know work, right? But I think that we grossly misapply the repeating of what has worked before and that we can rethink, you know, even a company that makes rocket ships, right? You can rethink human resource policies, physical spaces, marketing strategies, branding, pricing approaches, all of these different areas of the business that we want people to think differently about in order to continually advancing, just like any ecosystem that doesn't have permutations will eventually stagnate, right? We don't want the the business to stagnate. So we can allow people broadly to innovate. And when focus only on this kind of isolated innovation, then we increase the risk of us stagnating because we tell everyone else you can't, you're, you're not an innovator. I love what you're actually saying, which is basically everyone should be part of the innovation story. Uh, but then why do you think it's difficult for some leaders and also employees to see any innovation opportunity whilst others just get it? Uh, do you think there is a secret sauce that some people have uh, that helps them to spot innovation and find breakthrough ideas? Or yep, there, there's a there's a study in entrepreneurship of entrepreneurial intention, and so the idea is that before someone will take action on an entrepreneurial opportunity, they need to have the intention to to pursue it. And what's interesting is that intention, if it doesn't exist already, it's not only that you see the opportunity but you don't pursue it, but you don't even see the opportunity. And this is also related to luck. Why are lucky people lucky? Because they walk out of the room, or they walk out in the morning, and they think that they're going to find the love of their life. They think they're going to f- meet the person that's going to change everything for them. So they're looking for them, right? So when we're not looking, then we don't even see it. And there are three limiting beliefs, if you will, that that we, you want to look at and untangle. The first is the limiting belief of this is not possible. Like I work in the big company. And you just cannot get ideas through in this big bureaucracy, right? So that's the first thing to tackle. You can do you can hit that by telling stories of 
internal innovations, which is part of what this store, what my, my book is, is meant to do is to attack that. The next one is an entrepreneur needs to look a certain way. He or she, and let me be a little provocative here. He has to be a man, has to be white, has to be in Silicon Valley. Those are the stories that we tell, right? And by telling those stories, we propagate this idea that the innovator to be successful needs to have certain these certain traits. So we want to tackle that. And the third one is social pressure. What will people say? Will I lose my job if I take a risk and I fail? Or will I get a promotion? What will my manager say when I say, I want to go work on this project in another part of the company? right? Do I get the 20% of the time? Do I get celebrated or do I get shunned, right? So those are the three limiting beliefs that we need to address and unlock in order to activate the intent, which then will activate people looking for innovation opportunities throughout the company. So basically, encourage your employees to be in the outlook for opportunity, give them some time and space, and passion, diversity, and psychological safety matters. Uh, those resonates uh, very uh, well, for sure. Uh, and I wonder whether from the 150 companies you've interviewed and worked with, do you have any innovation story that is dear to your heart you can share with us and tell us what was unique about that story? Yeah. I like to tell stories of, I mean, there, there are the big stories of that are market stories. These are the ones that, you know, more catch headlines, you know, like HP launched the first electronic calculator and all the research said that they shouldn't do it because there was an already an established competitor in the market with a far superior price point, which was the slide rule. And so they almost shelved it, but they they took a risk. They, they, they made a thousand of them before long. They were selling a thousand a day. So there are a lot of these stories of like, or, or Amazon Web Services, Andy Jassy, now the CEO, who they were asked by, I think it was Target to manage their um, infrastructure. And then they turned that into a service, you know, all of these things. But, but, but I think that the, the ones that we should be really celebrating are also the ones that are not necessarily market facing. Like one of my now friends and, and former client, Heather Davis, who was at TIAA, this big you know, manager of, of retirement funds. And she saw an opportunity to innovate, which was they own they have $25 billion of, of assets that are invested in agricultural real estate, largest owner of uh, private owner of agricultural real estate in the United States. And they had a trouble, they had trouble getting workers because the regulations had changed. And so they didn't feel comfortable hiring the kind of migrant workers that were working on these apple orchards and, and vineyards. And so she, like a good innovator, knows the answer does not sit in your office, as Steve Blank is famous for having said. So you got to get out of your office. She gets out of the office and she notices that this is really tough work. It's rote. You don't have a lot of personal contact. You have to be strong. Now her son has autism. And so she makes this connection that this is the perfect kind of work for people with autism. So she creates an innovation. It's a program called Fruits of Employment that helps people with autism get work on farms. Now, they don't just get a job, they get a driver's license. They get something on their resume, right? It becomes a stepping stone for them to become integrated, productive, engaged members of society, right? And so hundreds of people have gone through this program. And what you notice in that, what you'll notice in that story, which is what you'll notice, I think, at the beginning of every internal innovation is this, this confluence of three things. 
There is a strong market need. We need our apples and wine. There's a strong company need, corporate need. We've got this labor issue. And that overlaps with a strong personal need, a passion, right? She cares about autism. So when those three things come together, that's the kind of the launching pad. Thanks for uh, sharing this story. It's, it's uh, quite moving, but also it shows that passion, commitment, and having an unfulfilled needs out there uh, are key to success. I like it. Thinking about the fact that you have done so much work with so many companies, uh, I wonder whether over the years you've seen a company's approach to innovation have changed, or do you think the approach to innovation is still the same? Yeah, and I think that with the COVID crisis that we've been experiencing as as we're recording this, this has accelerated this shift. I think we're moving away from isolated innovation where you have specific people given specific budgets to drive innovation. That's one model of innovation. And we're moving towards everyone is an innovator. And this is a, a little bit of a challenge, but I think it is the opportunity as well, is that there is no big budget for innovation. Everyone is asked to innovate and to convince business units to fund the innovations through their P&L, right? There's a gentleman, Professor Rob Wolcott at Kellogg and at Chicago Booth, and he developed this framework of these four different types of innovation. And I won't go through it here, but let's just simplify it to say we have been moving away from centralized innovation towards dispersed innovation at least the companies that are thriving today. I looked at 367 companies that have appeared on most innovative lists over the last five years, and only 13 of them outperformed their competition. And nine of those 13 adopt this decentralized everyone is an innovator model. I really like uh, this everyone is an innovator uh, model. I haven't checked or seen this framework, but I certainly will check it out. Uh, just before... Moving to the last section, let me ask you one more question, uh, and that's about your new book. I understand you are planning to, to publish a new book. Uh, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that, and when should we expect it? So my prior book, Outthink the Competition, I, I, I don't even know when, something like 10 years ago. And since then, we have done a lot of work applying it. And we've really kind of refined the, the, the process behind it. It's basically a methodology to generate a large set of strategic options. And it is the heart, if you will, of driving innovation from within. So we basically wanted to refresh it. A lot of the companies that we featured there have now advanced and a lot of the ideas that came out of applying it have advanced and we learned a lot in applying it. So at the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022, we're going to be uh, launching a, a new a new edition of it, basically. Well, uh, good luck with that launch. Uh, and I look forward to reading those updates. I'm sure after 10 years, there must have been a lot of exciting things happened. Uh, especially uh, at the pace of innovation we are seeing those uh, days. Let me now just move to the final section, which I call a quick round, whereby I ask you a few questions uh, and you can answer them in a minute uh, or so. The first one is, could you share one of the aha moments that you might have over the years that had made you change course of an approach uh, to doing something you were working on. 
Yeah. When I first started doing this work, I did a two by two matrix, just like any good McKinsey consultant does. And the top right corner is the good stuff, which is the easy, high impact stuff is what you should focus on. But what I realized was that the real breakthrough ideas actually appear to be difficult and high impact by definition, because what makes them disruptive is that your competitors won't copy them. And the reason your competitors won't copy them is because they believe they won't work. So the opportunity is looking at the things that someone who is experienced and has expertise will say won't work. Yeah. And so we need to rewire the reaction of, oh, that won't work to, oh, if they say it won't work, then that is the only sign that potentially this is a good idea. So basically moving against the tides. I like that. The second question, what is one of your favorite innovation related book you currently or recently read? One of my favorite books is uh, a book by a gentleman named Bu Srinivasan. It's called Americana, a 400-year history of American capitalism. So it's not ostensibly an innovation book, but he basically tells the story of the United States through the lens of capitalism, and it covers innovations from the the cotton gin to steam to railroads you know and 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 you can you can learn so much by studying the historical patterns of these innovations how they were introduced and dispersed i guess i have a homework to do in here as i haven't read this particular book i have to say uh one last thing for me today is there anything you would like to leave our listeners who are mostly corporate innovators uh, and also entrepreneurs with? Well, that just remember 70% of society's most impactful innovations have come from corporate innovators. And entrepreneurs are unleashed, right? They're out there looking for solve the problems, but we're not going to create a sustainable future for humanity if we rely only on entrepreneurs. We need 70% of those ideas to come from internal innovators your future, our future really depends on you seeing an opportunity to create a future that works and rallying the resources to pursue it. With that uh, message, I'd like to bring this episode to an end. Uh, Kayan, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you today. Such an honor to be here. Thank you for including me. Just before we leave, I'd like to ask our listeners to rate and subscribe to this show so that you don't miss any episode, but also to help others discover this show and benefit from this podcast. You can listen to this show on all your favorite podcast network, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other network. If you want more information, you can check out my website. That is www.lessonsofinnovation.com. And until next time, thanks for listening. 